0: I got back from my last trip to New Mexico and sat down. I knew I had preaching coming up this weekend, so I just started thinking about, reflecting on, praying about what I was going to preach on. I've been doing that this summer, basically just thinking about the word that Megan's kind of given the team to guide our way, and this word was emerged. So I sat down and I'm like, okay, what story, Jesus, do you have for us to think about and learn from and reflect on when it comes to the Um, idea of Emerge, and so I I got my story, felt really good about it, felt really clear about my guidance, I wrote my sermon, I sent it off to the team to get the slides ready, and Megan responds, and she said, did you know I preached on that exact passage last week? And I said, I didn't know that, I'll make sure I listen to it so I don't sound like an idiot on Sunday morning, Um, but I thought to myself, like, it's the same passage, but it's not going to be the same sermon, no big deal. So I sat down, I listened to her sermon, and it was the same sermon. (laughs) And so I went to, like, rewrite it, and I immediately just went, no, I'm not going to rewrite it. Why was it that independently, with no conversation, Jesus gave us the exact same sermon? And if it were at all, like, so I was, sorry, scatterbrained this morning. I also got together with Jeremiah Johnson and Sarah this week. They were in town looking for housing, and uh, we did dinner with them on Thursday night, and I told them about, because that day I had listened to Megan's sermon, I told them about my decision, and Jeremiah told this joke, he said, I heard this joke once about a preacher that got a, a new job, ironically enough, and he went to this new church assignment that he had, and he preached the first week sermon. And everybody was like, man, that was a great message, Pastor, it's so good to have you here, we're looking forward to the future. The next Sunday they show up, Pastor preaches the exact same message a second time. He said, hey, have a great week, that, good message. Shows up the third week, preaches the same message a third time, exact same thing. People are a little confused. They give him warm welcomes, and elders kind of waiting for him outside in the in the fellowship hall when he gets out, pulls him aside and is like, hey, that was a really good message, but we were wondering if you had any other sermons, or you just have like the one sermon that you preach every time. And the pastor's like, oh no, I got some more. When you guys finally get the first one, I'll move on to lesson number two um so if if at all if if this message was at all a heavy-handed message i wouldn't have done that twice because that feels icky but that's a real technical term icky um but since it's a message of encouragement i don't feel like it's a bunch of pastors getting together repeating the same message like beating people up it's why does why does jesus have this passage for us as a church i I don't know and i'm not insisting that he does but that's weird and so let's Let's, let's preach the same message from a different voice again, shall we? Okay, you guys okay with that? You need to be, because Jesus said so. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, I, so I sat down, because the same passage from John was on my heart, and it's been years since, I, I, I go to Israel, I teach all about the post-resurrection stories, but I have never truly sat down with all four Gospels, the book of Acts, and that passage out of Corinthians, and sat down and said to myself, How does this timeline work? Like you have all these appearances of Jesus post-resurrection. And how do you put them all together? I'm not typically a fan of harmonizing, but from a historical perspective, I was curious. So I finally sat down, this is before I listened to Megan's sermon, I went through all the passages post-resurrection, and I kind of mapped out the timeline, in my opinion, of how they happen. You can totally disagree. I encourage you to go look at all the gospel accounts and the book of Acts, kind of piece it together and see what you think, I'm simply going to give you what I think about these post-resurrection appearances. So we start with Mary, and we've preached on this multiple times already this year. Mary shows up at the tomb, finds an empty tomb. She runs and tells Peter and John. Now, as I read it, Peter and John are not hiding in an upper room behind a, a locked door at that point. They're just somewhere. She goes and finds them. Peter and John, if you remember, race to the tomb. Peter's just wild, crazy man. He gets there first. Actually, John gets there first. Peter just barrels on into the tomb, if you remember the account they see the tomb's empty they leave nobody meets jesus yet they go back apparently it's at that point that the disciples get behind a locked door in some upper room somewhere which makes sense because you know that you didn't steal the body but if the body is gone everybody's going to think it was you so now you're in trouble so you go hide behind a locked door that makes sense to me mary goes back to the tomb jesus is waiting we preached on this a few months ago it's almost like jesus is waiting in the bushes like i can't wait for the men to get out of here because i want to talk to mary I got something from Mary. And so Jesus then appears to Mary, tells Mary, I need you to go tell the disciples that you've seen me. And so in John's gospel, she goes and tells the disciples, I have seen the Lord. In Matthew's gospel, there's a little bit more detail. He says, I don't need you to just tell them that you've seen me. I need you to tell them to go meet me at the mountain in Galilee. And so she's on her way. She meets the other women, and Jesus appears a second time and tells the whole group of women the same thing. Go tell the disciples, and by the way, it's the disciples and Peter, if you've ever noticed. Why does Jesus say that? In my mind, Jesus says that because Peter's no longer a disciple. He has denied the rabbi, which is the worst betrayal in rabbinic Judaism you could possibly come up with. Everybody's like, well, Judas is the betrayer. Listen, Peter's betrayal is twice as bad as Judas' in the Jewish mind. Because Judas was trying to do the right thing, in my opinion, but got it wrong. Peter did the wrong thing and denied his rabbi. It's huge. So Jesus has to specify to Mary, go tell the disciples and Peter. If not, he doesn't need to say that. Just go tell the disciples. Peter's the ringleader, so he's going to know that. I don't think the disciples see. We'll see what you think when you do your study. You can email me and tell me how wrong I am. Nobody laughed at that, but that's okay. You can do that. Um so so she goes and tells the disciples, the women go and tell the disciples, we're told from the other gospels they don't believe the women. That doesn't look good historically, by the way. That wasn't a great look on them, historically speaking. The Women show up, we've seen the Lord, and I'm sure they sat there and mansplained to them all the things that they had seen theologically I didn't get as good of a chuckle out of that as I wanted to but I'm sure that they they sat there and they were like no listen you didn't see Jesus let me, let us explain the Bible to you silly women I know you've been following us around but you don't know anything and so we're told that they don't listen so Jesus shows up and the disciples are where in an upper room behind a locked door and what I find fascinating is Jesus doesn't show up with a lecture he doesn't show up with like some, he doesn't dress them down or scold them about, because he gave them instructions. They're supposed to go where? To the mountain in Galilee, which apparently they know what mountain it is. We can talk about that some other time, but there's a whole bunch of debate. Is it Mount Tabor? Is it Mount Arbel in the Galilee? I think it's Mount Hermon, but I digress. Go tell the, there's no like, hey, you should have listened to the women. there's no. Hey, you're supposed to meet me on the mountain, but here I am, because you, a bunch of nudics, are hiding in an upper room. He just meets them and tells them, peace be with you. And then he he, he speaks to them, he lets them see him. He breathes on them. He says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Because I don't, I don't even know what that means, by the way, because Pentecost hasn't happened yet, so I don't even know what's going on there. Receive the Holy Spirit, and then he He leaves. Then we're told, and and they go to tell Thomas, who wasn't there, Thomas is like, I won't believe, a week later, where are they? Upper room. Let's read the passage. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house uh, where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. So go, that's essentially what I hear Jesus say. "I'm, I'm sending you. Go. Get out of here. Leave. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Although the doors were shut, other translations will say locked again. So here they are a week later in the same spot. Jesus has a week earlier been there. They've literally seen and experienced the resurrected Jesus. He says, I'm sending you. Go, get out of here. A week later, they're in the same place. Part of the reason I love this story is I can completely relate. Can anybody else relate? I would would have been in the exact same. Got it, Jesus. You've sent me great pep talk, best lesson I've ever heard. Week later, haven't moved. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Same tone, same tenor, no lecture, no scolding, no no like, Guys, I was here a week ago. None of that. He just meets them where they're at, with grace, and mercy, compassion. Tells them, says things about mercy. Well, Let's see, let's finish up the passage. Uh, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. I have wondered, this is, this is not in the Bible. Have, you hear me? This is, not, this is pure speculation. Pure spe- I've wondered if it's Thomas that got him out of that room. I don't know. It's pure speculation. But I've wondered if Thomas, the guy who wouldn't believe, was also the guy that once he believed was like, guys, what did he tell you to do? Go? Let's get out of here. We're going to go. <laughs> I wonder if it was Thomas who went from not believing to belie- all in. I don't know. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Is anybody a doubter? Anybody been called? I think Megan asked this question. Anybody been called a Doubting Thomas before? Anybody called themselves a Doubting Thomas before? Sometimes it's the Doubting Thomas that's the last one to believe but the first one to act. I don't know. Maybe. All I know is that they finally leave and they head to the Galilee. Now, I don't know how you put the pieces together. Here's how I put it together. On their way to the mountain, they go and find Peter. Because I don't think Peter's in the room. It does not tell you Peter's in the room. And Jesus said, go tell Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. I don't think Peter's hanging out with the disciples in the upper room. I don't think he's there. You can, you can wrestle with that on your own. He's fishing with some other disciples. He went back to the Galilee because he knows he's blown it. He's no longer a disciple. He doesn't get to hang out in that upper room with them anymore. So he went back to the Galilee and is fishing. On the way, they go to meet Peter. Peter, you've got to come with us. Jesus is alive we're going to the mountain. He talked to us about forgiveness. Remember? Jesus talked to them about forgiveness. You remember that? And where do they stop? Peter's place. Peter, you got to come with us. While they're fishing, Jesus shows up and appears to Peter with that famous story on the beach. I don't know if that's how the timeline works, but they go from there to the mountain, which I love because if it's a Mount Hermone, Mount Hermon is the northernmost point of Jesus' ministry. It's as far north as you can go where Jesus ever did anything. Caesarea Philippi is there. It's where I believe the Mount of Transfiguration happened, despite tradition. Mount Hermon all the way in the north. Why I think he did that was because you have to walk by every single story as a disciple that you ever experienced with Jesus. On your way to meet the resurrected Christ, you now have to like walk. It's a three to five day journey depending on how fast you're walking. And you now have to remember that. Hey, remember that story of the blind man? You walk past the Sea of Galilee and you're like, oh my goodness, what about the demoniac? Let's go through that story again. Oh, you remember that story? Remember the parables he taught here? Oh, there's the feeding of the 5,000. And you have to process all of that. You get to Jesus in the mountain in the Galilee and he gives them the Great Commission. What I love about that passage is that you show up at that passage, and it says that Jesus shows up with them at the, at the mountain. Many believed, but some doubted. To all of them, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on the earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. They're what, two weeks, ten days? Ten days, two weeks into this thing, with the re- they've seen the resurrected Christ multiple times, in the flesh, literally, and many believed and some doubted. I'm sure I would have I probably been like, oh, it's not like you have mental categories for what you're experiencing. It's not like you can put that somewhere where it makes sense. And I just love that you get to the mountain where the commission happens, and one of the things that the author, that Matthew chooses to tell us, is that many believed but some doubted. And to all of them, not just the believer ones, even to the ones that have doubt, Jesus says, I got work for you. Remember what he told Peter just a few days earlier? Peter, who thinks he's blown it beyond repair and restoration. What, is, what does Jesus say? Do you love me, Peter? Then I got work for you. But Jesus, I've screwed it up. Yeah, but do you love me? I got work for you. Oh, come on, Jesus. You know how bad, Peter, do you love me? Because I got work for you to do. He gets to the mountain. Do you believe? Some people are like, yeah. Some people are like, eh. Jesus is like, i got work for all of you. He says, I need you to go back to Jerusalem. Now they got to walk all the way back to Jerusalem. I wonder if they go back to an upper room and lock the door. I hope not. We're not told they do. I hope they don't. They get back to Jerusalem. We're told that they're there. As I understand it, day 40, Pentecost is going to happen on day 50. This whole thing mimics what's happening at Sinai. Because what, what happened at the Last Supper? What are they celebrating? What, what? I just about said it. Passover. And then 40 days later, the Israelites in the Passover story are at Mount Sinai where Moses ascends Mount Sinai and 10 days later comes down with Torah. So I, I, as, my, as I understand the story, Jesus ascends on day 40 to mimic the Moses story. So he's with his people having a meal And and Luke tells us, he says, I need you guys to be my ambassadors. I wonder if everybody believed at this point. I wonder if all the doubters had finally had their doubts fixed. I'm guessing not. I'm guessing there were still some doubters in the crowd. And Jesus says, I need you guys to be my ambassadors. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And it says that he's been teaching them about the kingdom for 40 days. 40 days, so day 40. And the disciples are like, is now the time that you're going to restore your kingdom? Is now the time? And he says, bye. And he leaves. And he says, I need you to stay in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And so now I see them like, guys, they were, they were, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, they were sitting in an upper room with the door locked. Forty days later, 50 days later, whatever, three weeks later, they're now venturing out to the temple mount because it's Shavuot. Just wrap your head around that. They've gone from being scared for their lives, legitimately so, to we're going to go celebrate the festival because that's what God told us to do at the temple. Now, I don't know about you, I, I picture them with their hoods up from their robes, like trying to not let anybody see who they are, look like Jedi monks walking around. Right? That's how I picture it. And they show up at the temple, and God blows the doors off the joint, literally. Blows the doors off. Let me, read the, let me read the... When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as fire appeared among them. And a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. By the way, when the, when the text says the house there, oikos, more, more like, it, it's almost certain it's referring to the temple. Because you don't have 3,000 people in the upper room where they show you in Jerusalem are like, this is where Pentecost happened. A, it's, that building didn't stand there. And B, the oikos is probably the house. Jews don't say temple, it's too holy of a word. So they call it the house, the oikos. Say oikos. It's, not, it's, all, it's a great yogurt, but it's also, thank you for laughing at that, it's also the temple of God. So they're at the temple. Tradition has it on the temple steps. And this happens. Now there were devout Jews from every nation, because it's a Jewish festival. This whole story is Jewish at this point. Gentiles don't enter the story until Acts chapter 10. Bible nerds, okay? Acts chapter 10. This whole thing is Jewish. It's a Jewish festival, Jewish temple, Jewish celebration, it's all Jewish. Jews from every nation under heaven, living in Jerusalem. And at the sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in their own native and the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, "Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Uh, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya beyond Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In their own language we hear them speaking about good God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others uh, sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, come on now, Peter. Like I find this verse, like if I was, if I was directing the chosen, this would be like violins start swelling. This is like a moment, Peter, like Mr. Failure, Peter. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and listen to what I what I say. Indeed, these are not. Drunk, as you suppose, for it is only 9 o'clock in the morning. They haven't heard of day drinking in Jerusalem. No, uh, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter. Come on, Peter. Here's what I love about this whole, all of these stories, all of them. Every last one of these post-resurrection stories. They are filled with some of the most dysfunction. You've got people that have failed failed. You've got people that are stuck in patriarchy and won't listen to the women and made those mistakes. You've got people that, are that, that that doubt. You've got people that got questions. You've got people that won't follow instructions. You've got people that are scared behind locked doors. You've got everything but a group of people that have their stuff together. There is not a single story in those post-resurrection accounts where somebody's like, okay, and he got all of his stuff together and now was ready for Jesus to use him. All of these stories are full of the most broken, distorted, uneducated, misunderstood, misunderstanding folks that you have. Like, this is the, for many of them, this is literally the lowest part in their story. And yet they're willing to say, if you want my doubt-filled self, you got it. Like, I, I picture Peter. You really think I can feed your sheep after what I've done? Then here goes nothing. I'll give you what I got, which isn't much. And I've screwed up like you wouldn't believe. And what does he have? What does Peter have? Joel. As if you guys have Joel ready to go off the top of your head. Who's got Joel memorized, ready to recite to me? See, Peter has done beautiful work. Peter is ready, but he's going to have to let the forgiveness and the mercy and the compassion and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit fill him up to make him believe that he can actually put it to work. And he shows up and he says, I got Joel for you. We're not drunk. This is Joel. And guys, the course of human history, that's not not dramatically stated. The course of human history is changed because of a small group of people, much smaller than the amount of people listening to my voice in this room, were willing to take their doubt-filled, dysfunctional, failure-laden self and say, Jesus, if you want it, it's yours. And I I'm starting to get to know this church. I'm starting to have lunch and appointments with so many of you and get to know some of you more. I don't know you well enough to be able to say, like, I, I don't I don't know. I am curious why Jesus gives us this message here. Like I'm curious if this body of believers here. Jesus is really trying to insist to us, you you have everything that you need. Every one of you listening to me, you have everything that you need. And by that, I don't mean you have much, because you don't have much, UCC. Like literally, I don't have much to bring. You don't have much to bring. By saying you have everything you need, I don't mean you have much. You've got next to nothing, and that's all that Jesus needs. to have the right kind of appointments and the beautiful discussions and care about this and to believe that Jesus is in the small stuff more than the big stuff. There is so much potential locked in this room. And I'm not talking about like building some massive megachurch here in Clifton. I don't think that's even what we want to do. I'm just talking about Jesus is ready to move through this body of people to bring grace and forgiveness and mercy and wholeness and shalom to Cincinnati and apparently other parts of the world. Right, Randy? Apparently not even here because it's not even Jerusalem. It's Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth that Jesus is like, I'll take your failure-laden self to wherever. I'll take what little you have to offer and I'll take it to Ukraine watch me do something amazing will you i just find that so i read these stories as i read that i just went my goodness this is anything but like a poster of spiritual like formed spiritually formed beautiful amazing christians that got it all together this is a mess that changed the course of human history and and jesus did jesus did amen let's pray God would you follow us around today and just keep insisting would you keep insisting that you don't need much because you don't this whole earth is yours and everything in it you don't need much at all Jesus which is good because we don't have much to offer and we know that Not only that, but the list of stuff that we bring, the the list of negatives and screw-ups and failures is pretty long. You're just interested in us giving you all, all of it, all the lists, good and the bad, and being willing to be used. So just follow us around today, follow us around this week, follow us around this month, follow us around this year, and just don't leave us alone. Just keep whispering How much you love us how much you believe in us how much you long to work in us not that you need us but you long to partner with us remind us remind us remind us everywhere we go everything we do every opportunity when we go to do something small would we hear you cheering behind us in the voice of the holy spirit at the top of your lungs How big of a deal that small thing is. Would you remind us how small things are huge deals in the kingdom of God? And just keep inviting us to take one step, one decision, one move, every little bit, every last little inch, an inch taken back from the kingdom of darkness. One more inch where the kingdom of God moves, where shalom breaks into darkness, brokenness, wholeness and restoration takes charge. God, remind us, remind us, remind us. Remind us of the power of acting justly and loving mercy and walking humbly. And may we commit ourselves to it faithfully. God, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We have no idea what you can do with our lives, but we want you to know that they're yours. So, Jesus, help us. Pray all this in the name of the resurrected Christ. Amen.